And if you have your Bible, let's turn today to Romans chapter 4. We'll start in verse 18 today. And if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on page, I think it's page 942 in that pew Bible uh, that's uh, around you. If you don't have a Bible for yourself, then you're welcome to just take that one. It's our gift to you. And uh, let's read together today from Romans 4, 18 through 22, continuing to talk about Abraham and his faith with the example of the faith of Abraham and how it worked out in his life today. Romans 4, verse 18. In hope, he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I wonder if you know what difference faith makes. The, uh, all right. the, uh, the great thing that we have is the central element of the gospel that, that we preach over and over and over, that we rejoice in, that we sing just about every Sunday, is the doctrine of justification by faith alone, which means that we can be and are counted as righteous in God's sight, not because of anything that we would do or, or give to God or works that we could bring to God, not because of any merit that we have where God would examine us and, be, and find us to be worthy of salvation, uh, that, that instead that we would be right with God, justified only through the instrument on the basis of faith, God's grace applied to us through faith alone in Christ alone. That doctrine sometimes makes people wonder, well, what if your faith doesn't make any difference in your life? What, what, what Can you just say, well, of course, I, I believe these doctrines, and then nothing ever changes in your life, and you're all right. Well, the reality is we are justified by faith alone. But as real faith comes into somebody's life, it affects everything about that person. It is impossible to have actual faith in Jesus and not have it be life-changing. Now, what hypocrisy is, hypocrisy is when you look around at lives that have been changed by faith and you try to look like that so that you can try to pretend to be somebody who has faith, so that you can try to fit in, so that you can try to offer something to God. And that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, though, is that when you are justified by faith alone, that that faith, it affects your life. Uh, It's going to affect your words, your actions. It's going to affect your thoughts. It's going to affect your hopes and your goals. It's going to affect your attitude and your demeanor. It's going to affect everything about you. And what we have here is an example of Abraham's faith, just what faith looks like. And even as he is preaching to us, as he has been preaching to us throughout the book of Romans all the way up to this point, there is no justification by works. There is no justification by life change. There is justification by faith alone, but when that faith comes into somebody's life, boy, it changes things. And when faith came into Abraham's life, 
And when he was immediately, as Genesis 15, 6 says, immediately counted as righteous in God's sight through faith alone, well, that worked out in his life. And so we're going to see the example of Abraham, and I hope be encouraged as believers to see that faith worked out in our own lives and to see our faith strengthened. I want to just remind us real quick of where we are in, in the book of Romans, uh, because it's easy as we go just a few verses at a time to, to kind of get lost about what's going on. And uh, if you if you got your Bible open, which I hope you do, you might want to just flip back a few pages just to have in your head where, where we've come from. There, there was kind of an introduction at the beginning of Romans 1 that led up to sort of the theme verses of the whole book in Romans 1, 16 and 17, where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that's in faith, the righteousness of God is revealed, or excuse me, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He's saying here is the big point. God justifies by faith alone, and it is the same gospel for the Jew, the Greek, for everyone in the world to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. Right after that, in the second half of Romans 1, he begins to talk not about the righteousness of God, but the wrath of God, that the wrath of God is revealed against all sinners everywhere, all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, ungodliness being a failure to love God, summed up in the first four commandments of the ten, and unrighteousness being what naturally flows out of that ungodliness, and a breaking of the last six out of the Ten Commandments and the failure to love neighbor. He says that this applies to those who are Gentiles, those who are out in the world who might have never had any contact with the Word of God whatsoever, yet they are without excuse because God has revealed His existence and His eternal power and something of His moral standards of righteousness just through what has been made and through the conscience that he has imprinted on human hearts. So in the second half of Romans 1, he's saying everybody is under sin out there in the world. And then he gets into Romans 2, and he shows, well, everybody is under sin here within my fellow Jewish people, as Paul is talking about. He says it's not just that those people out there are sinners in need of God's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He says it's those in here, too, who are sinners, who are in need of God's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so he drove down on that, that everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, everywhere is under sin and is hopeless in themselves. But then he gets in the second half of Romans 3 to how it is that this righteousness of God can come to sinful man. This righteousness of God, it says, 321, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There you have the gospel. In, in chapter 4, he's getting to the question, and this is where we're, we are now. He is saying, but is this something different? In a way, there is something different because Jesus has come, 
Jesus has come and has fulfilled all of the things that were about him all along in the Old Testament. Jesus, the actual Redeemer, has come and has carried out his work on earth, has died on the cross for sins, has risen from the dead, is our risen King and Savior. The gospel has been made so clear and has just been broken wide open and made obvious that people from all tribes and tongues and nations may come and be saved by faith alone. But is that a different gospel? Well, Romans 4 is giving these historical examples from the Old Testament to say, no, this has been the gospel all along. Even as God was in the process of doing his work, even as God had not yet sent Jesus, this was still the same gospel because look at Abraham. Look at Abraham, who it says in Genesis 15, 6, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And, and look at David, King David, who, who lived several hundred years before Jesus came, but he said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. He says that David is speaking of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And now he's going back into the example of Abraham, and we were in that example last time as we looked and as we saw the, this faith of Abraham, and we're examining that faith. Because he said, if we are going to be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we need to have not a new, different kind of faith that appeared after Jesus came. We need to have the faith of Abraham. We need to be children of Abraham. Not in terms of having been born through the physical lineage of Abraham, but having been born again to have the faith of Abraham. That's his argument here. And he's saying, let's look at Abraham. Let's look and let's see this example of a great man of faith and what that faith looked like. The strength of faith, let's be encouraged by it. And let's seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to have that same faith and to walk in that same faith. It's a faith that can only be given as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's a faith that also can be grown by God's grace and strengthened as we see that it was in Abraham's life. So we are, all that just to say, we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We're saved, justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is absolutely life-transforming. So all that having been said, look, look at verse 18 uh, of Romans 4. Here's the, the faith that Abraham had. It says, in hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Yeah, this, this faith, well, what, what does it do? Well, one of the things that it does is it brings hope. If you have faith in Jesus, that faith is accompanied by hope. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We have not seen face to face Jesus in the flesh. We weren't there for the crucifixion. We weren't there for the resurrection. We weren't there to watch him ascend into the clouds. But Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is part of what faith is, is an assurance about what we have not seen. And not just an assurance about what happened in the past that we didn't see, but also an assurance about the promises for the future. 
and for the salvation that he gives that we have not fully yet seen because we're not in heaven yet and we haven't been raised from the dead and seen the consummation of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. We haven't seen those things yet. But when we have faith in Jesus, we know them to be true. And we rest ourselves on the person of Christ in hope of the promises of Christ that he said in front of us. Faith is not just knowing. I'm going to tell you this again. Faith is not just knowing in your head the truth of the gospel. It's not even just affirming in your head the truth of the gospel. If you sit down and you work out all of the historical elements of the life of Jesus and, and, and the, the words of Scripture and you come to a, 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 an intellectual conviction, these things are true, that in itself is not yet faith because Satan has worked out that those things are true and he certainly doesn't have faith. It's not just a knowledge that these things are true and a conviction that these things are true, but a personal trust in the Savior where we would take that knowledge and conviction and then say, I myself rest my soul upon this person whose name is Jesus. I trust in him. I receive him as my Lord, as my master. I rest upon him alone as my Savior, not upon myself or anything that I could be or do, but upon him and that's what faith is. And what faith does, in part, one of the things that faith does when it comes into our hearts by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when he makes us born again, well, one of the things that faith brings is hope. What is hope? Well, I'm going to quote two, two 17th century Puritans about that. First one is, is William Gurnall. He says, Hope is a supernatural grace of God whereby the believer through Christ expects and waits for all those good things of the promise, which at present he has not fully received. It's, it is where, by God's grace, we expect and we know that this is coming, that what God has promised in Jesus is coming for us. One way to just put it very simply is setting your mind on heaven, saying, I can't wait to be there with Jesus. It's hope. John Owen puts it this way. He says, Hope is an earnest expectation proceeding from faith, trust, and confidence accompanied with longing desires of enjoyment. It's a happy thing. Saying these promises are true and will come to pass. When we talk about hope in the Scriptures, when we talk about the Christian hope that we have, this is not the way that the world uses the word hope. The world says, well, I hope things will get better, by which we, that, that phrase would usually mean things probably won't get better, but wouldn't it be nice if they did? But the Christian hope is saying the promises of God are sure. I know that even though I haven't seen this come to pass yet, it will because God said so. And God is powerful and God's promises always prove true. And so, so what we have is faith that's entrusting our hearts to God personally in Jesus Christ, and we have hope that is setting our hearts on what God has promised for the future. And here is what Abraham had. He had, in verse 18, hope against hope. In hope, he believed against hope. Oh, what is that talking about? Well, what it means is that looking around at the circumstances of his life, 
looking around at what the doctors would tell him, that there was no way that what God had promised would come true would come true. That's against hope. And yet he believed because of the promise of God. Why does he have that hope? Well, it says in verse 18, he had that hope because God had said. Now, I want to be clear here. When I, when I say this hope, when I say the doctors have said some minds in here probably went to the idea of faith healing, to the idea of saying, well, if God has this hope for us, well, then if I get bad news from my doctor, this means that God has promised to heal me. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. What it says is that Abraham, look in verse 18, he believed what he had been told. You see that? He had been told these words, so shall your offspring be. He said, this is the promise of God that has actually been spoken by God. This is the word of God. These are the actual words that when they came, we wrote them down so that we could look and we could see this is what God has said. Now, where do we look and we see the promises of Scripture? Or excuse me, the promises of God. It's Scripture. I gave it away right there, didn't I? If your hope is in the idea that you might get a promotion next week, well, I would be, I'd be really glad if you get a promotion next week. I, I, would, I would give you a high five. I would thank God for that. But the Bible does not say... This guy working at this company in this county of New Jersey will get a promotion. That's not what the Bible says. It gives us promises that are there, the real promises that are in Scripture that will come true. But the promise to Abraham was this. The, the promise was, so shall your offspring be. How would his offspring be? Well, back in verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations. This, this was Abraham looking at the promises of God and saying, this will come true. Abraham had an effectual faith. The way, as Abraham believed, as he believed the promises of God, I want you to look again, look in the verse 18, there's the words that are there. In hope he believed against hope, that he, he should become the father of many nations. Now, the, the way it is, I'm preaching from the ESV, a lot of you guys have it. The way it's put there, I think, is, is a little unclear. It's, it's there, but it's not quite clear in the ESV. Let me read, you, read how it's put in the New American Standard. It says, uh, that he should become, uh, or excuse me, that's what it says in ESV, that he should become. NASB says, in order that he might become. In order that he might become. Now, why am I, I bringing out this difference in translation? It's because the word that's there, the way that God breathed it out in the, the text of Romans in the original language has a causal relationship. He's not just saying, here is the substance of what he believed. He's saying, by his believing, this thing came to pass. It wasn't that Abraham made something happen by his uh, naming it and claiming it. That's not the fact. The fact is God had already determined to make this come to pass, and God, by his spoken promise 
And the faith that he gave Abraham, he used Abraham's faith as part of how he would make this come to pass. Let me just give you an, an example of this. In Acts 27, in Acts 27, there, there is a shipwreck. And, and so as, as, as Paul is on his way being taken in chains as a prisoner toward the city of Rome, uh, they're going across the Mediterranean Sea. And on the way, there's this terrible storm that Paul had already prophesied by the Holy Spirit would come. And the ship was breaking up. And, and Paul received from the Lord through an angel the, a, a message of uh, the fact that all of them would keep their lives on this ship. This was the promise of God. Nobody on this ship is going to die. He had specifically said that. But then, as they had that promise, one of, uh, one of the Roman soldiers who was, who was taking this ship to, toward Rome started to go and, and to cut off one of the lifeboats so that he and so, some of the other sailors could escape on it as all of the prisoners on this, this prison ship died. And you know what Paul says to him? Paul tells him, if you do that, we're all going to die. It's interesting, isn't it? Where God had already said, you're all going to live, but then Paul says, if you do that, we're all going to die. Well, you know what? They didn't do that. They didn't cut it off. They went, by the grace of God, they went upon the message that Paul had received. They chose to believe it and to act on it. And so Paul says in Acts 27, 25, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So it was the, the plan of God, the announcement of God, the promise of God in that little situation, everybody in the shipwreck is going to come out alive. But it was through their believing that promise that it actually happened. You see that? And in the same way, God had promised, and this was sure, it would happen. I will, Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. But it was through the instrument of his faith that he made that happen. Let me bring this to you, guys. God comes and he says, Sinner, come to Christ and you will have eternal life. Hellbound sinner, and that is true. And it is God alone who works it. And it is through the instrument of your faith in Jesus that it actually comes to pass. You see that? It, it, it is through his belief in this promise that this comes to pass. And it is through your faith in Jesus that God's promise of eternal life comes to pass for you. That's how God has set it up. That's how God works it. God has given hope to Abraham through his promise. He would give hope to us through his promise in Jesus. The specific promise to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. He looked at that. He believed it. He trusted that God is trustworthy, that God's promises come true. He had faith, and God made it happen. But this hope, as it says, was against hope. What does it mean, against hope? We'll look at verse 19. It says, he did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, 
God had said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said this to a guy who was nearly 100 years old. And his wife was almost 100 years old. He says, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. As I said last week, Sarah wasn't just postmenopausal. She was post-postmenopausal. And so he looked at this, and you would look and you would say, well, everything about this situation indicates that this promise is impossible to come to pass. But there's a difference. God said that it would come to pass. And because God said that it would come to pass, here's what it says that Abraham did. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered these things. Guys, God's promise will come to pass. Whatever God has spoken, it is going to happen. God's word never proves untrue. Now, there are going to be things that come and and make you think, well, maybe not. There will be doubts. There will be reasons that the world would bring, reasons that you can look around and you can say, it was just for example, the Bible says that there is a coming resurrection of the just and the unjust. As we drive past the cemetery, the Bible has said that every body in that cemetery will break out of those graves. Those who trust in Christ are going to be reunited with their souls in eternal bliss in the presence of Jesus. And those who do not trust in Christ are going to be reunited with their souls in eternal damnation in what's called the lake of fire. That doesn't seem possible, does it? It doesn't seem possible that the dead would be raised. You say, well, well, some of these bodies are, are completely gone. Some people have, have, been, uh, have, have, have been cremated and their ashes have been scattered in the ocean. It's gone all over the world. How, how could it possibly be that God would raise the dead? Because he promised and he's God and he will. How could it be that God would make Sarah conceive and then turn Abraham and Sarah into many nations, physical children, as, as, as many as the stars in heaven? That, that's hyperbole just to say a whole lot, right? Well, God was going to bring it to pass, and Abraham believed. The faith that he's demonstrating here is not just a faith about the worldly things that were going to happen. You're going to have a kid. That is a great thing. But this was a faith in God himself that was demonstrated and is walking by that promise. You see that? It was because he had faith in God that he believed this specific promise, that he walked according to its truth. And it says in verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. You know what that says? It says that there were doubts. It doesn't say that there were no doubts. What it says is no unbelief made him waver. When when those doubts and those fears assailed Abraham, that instead of wavering and saying, I guess I better abandon this promise, I guess I better hedge my bets a little more than I have already, well, it says no, instead he went on and, and walked by faith instead. It's not as though doubts aren't possible, but here's what God-given faith does, okay? 
God-given faith does not mean that there's never any doubts, but it means that those doubts, when they come, they're going to be put away. That you can weigh the doubt next to the Word of God, and you can say, I believe the Word of God. Hear that? Those, those things come up in all kinds of ways. I mean, a, a lot of those things are, are called apologetic questions when, when people say, well, no, the world wasn't created this way. No, creatures didn't come into being this way. No, this is not right. This is not right. This is not right. Well, for one thing, God's Word has always proven true. So many of those challenges to God's Word have just been... They've had to be just abandoned. I'll give you an example that they're... they're 200 years ago, there, there were people who were saying, well, the Bible is not uh, reliable because there is no evidence of there having ever been such a thing as the Hittite people. And the Old Testament talks about the Hittites all the time. And so they would say, uh, these, these um, ancient Near Eastern scholars would come and say, well, the Bible's not reliable. There are no Hittite people. There never were. There's no trace of them. But then, you know what got discovered in the Middle East through archaeological expeditions? The Hittite language <laughs> on stones and the history of the Hittite people, and you can actually go to, to certain colleges and study the Hittite language now. And, and so you never hear that as an argument against God's Word anymore. It just kind of got abandoned and moved on to other things, right? I'm just giving you that as an example because the Word of God has always and will always prove true. And what did Abraham do when there was evidence, when there was stuff against his hope? This unbelief that ought to have made him waver, well, he didn't. And the reason is because he had faith. God had given him faith, and that faith moved him to choose to say, I believe in the promise of God, rather than being caused to abandon this faith on some little thing like the fact that my wife is almost 100 years old and can't have kids anymore. You see that? In hope, he believed against hope. No unbelief made him waver. This is, this is related to what it says in, in Ephesians 6, what we prayed from earlier. It says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You hear that? Some people think, well, if I ever experience the flaming darts of the evil one in my Christian life, then I must not really be a believer. If I ever experience a doubt, if I ever entertain a thought of what if, well, then I must not be a believer. That's not what it says, but it says, take up the shield of faith. When you take up the shield of faith, even as those flaming darts of the evil one come out, you, you extinguish them with your faith with the faith that God equips you with by His grace. You can say, I choose to believe the Word of God. And as we have that faith, our hope grows. Faith brings hope. Let me tell you what your, your heart needs to be on, where it says hope against hope. Here are some promises. Here are some things that your heart needs to be on, Christian. It says in, in Romans eight twenty three, we ourselves who have the first hope, first fruits, of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about that coming resurrection there. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He says here, in your faith, hope for what you do not yet see. 
Wait for it with patience. That coming redemption of Jesus. It's already accomplished and it's coming. And we hope. It is Colossians 3. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, which means your faith is in Jesus, you've been united to Jesus, you've been born again, you have a new life in Jesus. If that's the case, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christians, that's our hope. Set your minds on that hope. Set your minds on that hope and have faith in God. He will bring it to pass. That's his promise. Faith also, it doesn't just bring hope, it also brings glory to God. Look in the second half of verse 20, uh, where it says, uh, after it says that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, it says, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, that faith, that strength of faith, mm, let's hold off on that for just a second. Guys, faith glorifies God. Your purpose for existing is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, it's, it's one of the easiest questions in the world to answer is what is the meaning of life? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There's your answer. Okay. And when we have faith in God, it brings Him glory. It, 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 you see that right here, that there is this relationship between believing and giving glory to God. This is what uh, Martin Luther said. He said, God is glorified through faith, hope, and love. You might have heard those three words together in a couple of different places in the Bible. Faith, hope, and love. And God is directly insulted by three sins. Unbelief, despair, and hatred. God grants faith. Unbelief is not God glorifying, but belief is God glorifying. God grants hope, and that blessed, happy hope of the promises of God is God-glorifying. Despair, as though, woe is me, nothing will be okay, that is not God-glorifying. Instead, rejoice in the Lord always. We rejoice in hope. And love. God gives us love. We love because he first loved us. When we love God and love our neighbor, that is God-glorifying. When we fail to do that, that's called hatred. And that is not God glorifying. But when we come to God in faith, when we believe in the Lord God, it glorifies Him. And you need to know that glorifying God will strengthen your faith. Here, here's what he says. He was strengthened in his faith. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. I want you to see this, that this is, even the way this is worded, it's going both ways. The fact that he has faith gives glory to God. The fact that you have faith gives glory to God. But also that giving glory to God grew Abraham's faith. It grew the strength of his faith. And giving glory to God will grow the strength of your faith. Guys, I, I want you to hear this. If your faith is not as strong as someone else's faith, that does not mean that you don't have faith. 
If your faith is not as strong as Abraham's faith, that does not mean that you don't have faith. You know why Abraham is put as the example here? It's not because Abraham is the baseline of the minimum possible amount of faith to get to heaven. It's because Abraham is an example of great faith that we should look to. But here's what it says later in Romans. In, in Romans 12.3, he says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you hear that? It says that God has assigned a measure of faith to each. Jesus talked about that within his earthly ministry. He, he, there was a time when there was a centurion, this Gentile believer, who expressed his faith that Jesus would be able to heal his, his servant even from a great distance. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He's saying, look, I've, I have, I've seen all of the people of Israel. I know all of their hearts. And I know that this Gentile has greater faith than even all the believers in Israel. What an, an amazing statement. And then Jesus looked at some of his own followers from time to time, and, and these who actually did believe in him, and he would say, oh, you of little faith, I have good news for you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, Jesus said it will move mountains. It's amazing. It's amazing. So to have a, a weaker faith as opposed to a stronger faith does not mean that this person is less saved and this person is more saved. To have faith in Jesus, to be resting upon Christ alone for your salvation, is to have eternal life. And God would also grant different measures of faith and give us ways to strengthen that faith in our lives. You hear that? So if you have faith, you are saved, and God has also given us ways for our faith to be grown. We call these means of grace, to, to grow in God's grace and to be strengthened in our faith. Abraham was strengthened, grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And I want you to hear this, believer. You will be strengthened in your faith as you give glory to God. If your focus is on whether or not your faith is strong enough, you are not giving glory to God. You are self-focused. There's two ways you can do this. You could focus on yourself to say, boy, when I look in my own life and I examine my own fruit, it sure is awesome. I must have very strong faith. Or you could look in your heart and you could say, boy, when I look in my life, and I look at my fruit, I see that I am weak, and I am worried about myself. There's a problem with both of those that is the exact same problem. It's a self-focus. Faith is not self-focused. Faith is outside oneself. Faith is God-focused. Having faith is not about examining yourself to see if you're good enough. Having faith is about examining God to see that he is good enough, to see that his power and his strength and his promises are true. Yes, there has to be an element of self-awareness. We have to know our sin. We have to be repentant. But faith is looking not to ourselves, but trusting upon God and his power. When we glorify God... 
we are strengthened in our faith just like Abraham was. Well, what does that look like? Well, for one thing, it's just setting your mind on who God is. Do you know who God is? Some of you are already singing the song because you know your catechism. Isn't that neat? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's not all there is to say about God by any means, but boy, there's a lot there that we can just meditate on and thank God for and enjoy the very nature and attributes of God in himself for who he is. Any one of those things, you, you could spend days, months, years just meditating on this truth. God is infinite. Amazing. God is unchangeable. That's amazing too. We don't know anything that is unchangeable except God. I'm so glad God is unchangeable. If God were changeable, then how could we trust his promises? How could we have anything to do with him and say that this would be effective for the long run? It just wouldn't work. But God, we can set our minds on who God is. We give glory to God. Go to God and praise him. You can break out into song anytime. Well, maybe not anytime. You can praise him. You can sing to God in your prayer closet. You can sing to God here. You can sing to God around your dinner table. You can just praise God. But, but listen to this. The main way that your heart is going to be turned to give glory to God, the number one means of grace by which your faith will be strengthened as you glorify God, the number one way will be by being in the word of God. That's the number one way. The Word of God, the Bible, is where God tells us about himself, where God makes statements, grand statements about his character, and where God demonstrates his character in his works. As we, as we look to God, as we trust his promises, he strengthens our faith because we would glorify him. Let me just give you an example of this. As you are in your Bible, as you want to be reading and praying and meditating on the Bible, look for the character of God, look for the works of God, and it, just, just like in the Psalms. Okay? In the Psalms, there are certain Psalms that are called Psalms of Lament. These are Psalms where, where the psalmist sounds incredibly unhopeful in some ways. Saying to God, and I'm thinking of Psalm 77 here, saying to God, you know, why have you abandoned me? Do you know what the psalmists in those psalms consistently do? They make a determination that's written in the words of those psalms to meditate on the past works of God. Not even just the past works of God in the psalmist's own life but the past works of God in history, going back to things like the exodus from Egypt. You can look, you, believer, you can do this. You can look and open up the word of God, and you can read how God opened up Sarah's womb. And you can say, God's promise proved true there. His promise will prove true now. Same God, same word. 
when he led the people out of Egypt, when he led them into the promised land, when he raised up King David, all of these things that he has done, and especially this, believer, he sent the Redeemer. Jesus has become man. Christ, the Son of God, became man in order to live for us, die for us, rise from the dead for us. He rose from the dead. When you look at the fact that he rose from the dead, how would it be hard to believe that he is coming again and that we have this perfect hope that if you died today that you would go to his presence immediately and that when he returns that he will put your body and soul back together without pain or tears or any such thing and that you will live in eternal bliss with him forever and ever and that it's going to be way better than any of the things that you experience in this world. Steve, it's going to be way better than if the Bengals win the Super Bowl today. Okay, All of the hopes and dreams that you have in this life, it is going to be so much better in the presence of Jesus. And you can get that by opening your Bible and saying, God has been faithful all the way through and he's going to keep on being faithful. And we glorify God. And as we worship God and turn our hearts away from ourselves into the glory of God, he strengthens our faith. It's what he did for Abraham, and it's what he will do for us too. So faith brings hope, and faith now brings justification. Look at verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. What does it say about Abraham's faith here? He had faith in God. He had faith that God was fully able, it says. That's faith in God's ability. You, you want to hear about God's ability? Let, let me just read you a bunch of Bible. Genesis 18, 14, it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do you know the, the answer to that question? No, it's not. Nothing. Psalm 115, 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's God who is able. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Matthew 19, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Hmm. Romans 8.33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Are you starting to see this? This is not about our strength. This is about God. This is about God's ability. 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. Believer, do you know why you're going to make it to heaven? It's not because of you. It's because of God. God is able, and God is able what? Verse 21, God was able to do what he had promised. He already says this, and he said it again back in verse 18. He, he, he said, just as it had been said, or just as he had been told, but now he says, as God had promised. We, we need to have faith in God's word. God is unchangeable in his character, in his power, and God is unchangeable in his decrees. 
What God has said is going to come to pass is going to come to pass. We trust God's power to do what God has promised. Let me some more Bible. Numbers 23, 13. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? He will. Or 1 John 5, 10. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. We believe God. We don't make God a liar. We believe in the testimony of his son. We believe in the gospel. And through that faith, he sums it up in verse 22. He quotes Genesis 15, 6 one more time. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now you see here, again, the point is, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. We are justified by faith alone. And as we have faith, the faith of Abraham, it is life-transforming, life-changing because we believe in the power of God to fulfill his promises. We are justified by faith and he carries us through to the end by the power of the Holy Spirit working through that faith. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. I pray that you would turn our hearts toward you, our great God, the uh, Lord, the, the Savior of mankind. God, you were Abraham's Savior. You made the promise to Abraham about his offspring. Lord, he knew that these things, even though he didn't see all of the promises played out in earthly terms in his earthly life, Jesus told us that he saw the day of Christ and rejoiced. Lord, we thank you for that example of faith, for that example of hope. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would grant faith to everybody here uh, to turn to the Lord Jesus, believe, and be saved. I pray that you would strengthen our faith as we give glory to God. I pray that you would grow us in our hope and in the joy that we would have, hope against hope, believing in your promises. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.